Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Markia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those just voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, Welcome. Anything that is worthwhile in life typically requires lots of hard work and sacrifice. And when you are compelled to achieve, be it perfecting a skill or protecting your family, you must be disciplined to achieve your goals. But when it becomes an obsession, you're driven by a bloodlust to succeed and nothing had better stand in your way. First, Bloodthirst plagues a family, followed by practice makes perfect or it will kill you. Then friends that literally drive you insane. Finally, in our featured story, a yearly sacrifice hits home. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. And of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcasts, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com slash snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary at snarled.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com slash snarled. So... Want to hear something scary? Bloodlust. There are families that feel like the true meaning of family is loyalty, selflessness, and love. But not every family abides by those standards. Like in this story inspired by Ash. Carmen would always sit in the very back of our history class. She never talked much and spent most of class time drawing in her journal. One day, we were paired up as partners for a project. She was always quiet, but there was something about her that just felt off. When I would work on our project, she would draw in her journal, 
unaware of anyone else around her. I grew frustrated at her lack of involvement and decided to go to her house and confront her. When I knocked on her door, no one answered. So I decided to go to the back of her house to see if she was home. The fence that enclosed the backyard was 12 feet high and there was no gate. I took a run at it and was able to get a foothold on a rotting post. When I looked down into the yard, I saw at least 20 long white cotton dresses hanging on clotheslines. A few of the dresses had red splatter marks on them. And as I squinted, I could see that the dresses were stained with blood. On the ground was a rock formation of a pentacle. Creeped out, I jumped down from the fence and ran home as fast as I could. My plan was to never bring up what I saw to anyone. That Friday at school, our teacher, Mr. Sanchez, became fed up with Carmen's lack of participation and confiscated her journal. She begged him to give her the journal back, but he wouldn't. That afternoon, I snuck into Mr. Sanchez's classroom. On his desk was Carmen's journal. As I opened it, I was shocked to see detailed drawings of random people. All of them had blacked out eyes, were wearing white dresses, and had pentacles drawn on their foreheads. As I flipped through the pages, I landed on a drawing of Mr. Sanchez. His eyes were also blacked out, and there was a pentacle on his forehead. Disturbed, I carefully put the journal back. When I walked outside, standing in front of my locker was Carmen. My heart stopped, and I could feel beads of sweat drip down my neck. She looked at me like she knew what I had just done. Yet the only thing she said to me was that she would have her half of the history paper done by Monday. On Monday, the principal was waiting for us in class. He shared that Mr. Sanchez had never come home Friday and had been missing since then. All of the students gasped in horror, and I had a gut feeling that his disappearance might have had something to do with Carmen. Later that evening, I decided to go to Carmen's house again. My plan was to find some sort of evidence that could tie her to Mr. Sanchez's disappearance. As I climbed the fence again and jumped down into the yard, I noticed an orange glow emanating from the basement window. I slowly made my way closer, hoping to get a better look inside. Through the window, I could see Carmen and her parents dancing and chanting around what appeared to be multiple graves dug into the basement's earthen floor. I heard a noise that sounded like someone whimpering, and then I noticed that in the corner of the basement was Mr. Sanchez. He was tied up and gagged. I could barely keep my hand steady as I tried to raise my phone to take a picture. As Carmen's mom drew closer to Mr. Sanchez with her knife, she suddenly noticed my reflection in the window. Who is that? She screamed. Carmen looked up in horror as she saw the boy from her history class taking a photo. Run! Carmen yelled to me, but I couldn't move. Carmen's parents turned 
and now walked towards her, their knives drawn. She begged them not to use her as a sacrifice and promised that she would find someone else to use. Her parents ignored her pleading as they grabbed her by her hair, tilted her head, and slit her throat. Blood splattered all over her white dress and as her life left her eyes, she was staring straight at me. Nauseated, I stumbled backward, knocking over the clothing rack. I knew that if I didn't get out of there, they would do the same thing to me. Once I got home, I called the police and told them everything. The police and also the FBI came and ended up arresting Carmen's parents. I found out later that all of the drawings in Carmen's journal matched all of the dead bodies buried in the basement. Carmen's parents were members of a very old satanic cult called Familia del Diablo. In her journal, she wrote about how she didn't want to be a part of this cult, how she feared for her life. According to the FBI report, Carmen's family had been killing innocent people and sacrificing them for years. Their cult required that they must sacrifice one person per month. If they are unable to do so, the youngest child would become the sacrifice. Or, if the family was betrayed by family, that member would become the sacrifice. Carmen had been both. And that is exactly what happened to her. Thank you so much, Ash, for inspiring this, well, family tradition with us. Listener, what would it take for you to join a blood cult? Would you be able to hurt someone you loved for the good of said cult? How about a creepy story about one? Tell us about it at somethingscary@snarled.com. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. We all have passions or hobbies we want to pursue, but even the most committed can let those fall by the wayside, left to gather dust. That passion can be reignited, but to do so, it might require a jolt or a fright. Like in this story inspired by Anvi. When Amelie was little, she wanted to be a great musician, someone whose music would live on forever. She wanted to make music that was so ubiquitous, people would hum it without realizing what it was. 
Amelie's instrument of choice was the piano. When she was younger, she could practice for hours and hours until her fingers were sore. But like so many other hobbies, she lost interest as she got older. She went from practicing every day to barely practicing once a week until she realized that the songs she could repeat effortlessly as a child had slipped from her memory. Years later, Amelie was looking for her first apartment in the city when she stumbled upon an excellent space. The place was clean, quiet, and surprisingly spacious, but what set it apart was the grand piano dominating the living room. Turns out, the woman who had lived there for decades was a celebrated piano teacher. Unfortunately, she had died in the apartment, and her body was found by the neighbors trying to locate the horrible smell that had filled the building, the stench of her dead body. Amelie thought to herself that maybe this was a sign. Her life had previously grown boring and repetitive. Maybe she'd use this opportunity to take up piano again, honor this teacher's passing and her own talents. Amelie submitted her renter's application on the spot. That month, she moved her belongings into the apartment, telling herself that tomorrow she'd start practicing again. But sure enough, after she settled in, Amelie got distracted. She never carved out time at the piano. It even got to the point where she would avoid looking at the piano as she crossed the room, feeling like it was a hulking testament to her failure. But not even shame could compel her to lay her hands on those keys. One night, Amelie returned to her apartment very late. She got into bed and shut her eyes. Suddenly, she heard the soft, fluttery tones of classical piano music. She figured it was just a neighbor's stereo, but still, how weird, she thought, that they were playing a piece she'd practiced as a child. She continued to doze until she was jolted awake by a loud noise. It sounded like someone moving a bench across the floor. The squeaking and scratching reverberated off the walls. Amelie hesitantly got up and tiptoed out of her bedroom. She made her way to the living room and gasped. There, hovering over the piano, was a floating, near-translucent woman. Amelie could see the woman was wrinkled, with black hair styled into a tight bun and a comely white dress. The woman was moving her withered hands lovingly over the piano. Was this the old piano teacher who used to live here? Amelie tried to quietly back away, but the squeak of the floor caused the woman to look up. She howled, You must practice! And before Amelie could move, the old woman gripped her neck and dragged her to the piano. She coughed and tried to yell for help, but the woman's choking grip was too strong. Once at the piano, the woman etched her long, dirty nails into Amelie's skin, forcing her to play the keys. Amelie tried to play, but couldn't remember. The old woman told Amelie that she'd been very irresponsible with her practicing, leaving this beautiful piano to collect dust. She wouldn't let go of Amelie until she played correctly. Amelie took a deep breath and tried to recreate one of her favorite pieces. 
but she kept screwing up, each incorrect note causing the ghost to dig herself deeper into Amelie's arms until they were covered with blood. But Amelie didn't give up. Finally, overcome with pain, she played the notes correctly. When she was finished, the old piano teacher freed Amelie from her grasp. Then the old woman's grimace turned into a smile. See what happens when you practice, she hissed. And with that, she disappeared. Amelie plays the piano every day now. Slowly but surely, she's rediscovering her talent and passion. Maybe she really will someday become a great musician like she always wanted. Sometimes, Amelie will practice for hours. After all, she doesn't want to disappoint her new teacher. Thank you so much for inspiring this tale on V. Is there anything you've almost practiced yourself to death for? What would you give to be the best at something? And I mean, really, what would you give? Would you strike a deal with a devil? Sometimes it's hard to tell where reality ends and insanity begins, like in this story inspired by Abby. Growing up, I lived in the most magical place. I would roast marshmallows over the fire, swim in the lake, and catch fireflies during the sunset. When I was lucky enough to catch a firefly, I would bring it to a bridge near my house where I would release it and watched the lights flutter away into the woods. One night, after catching a large group of fireflies, I went to release them at the top of the bridge. As they flew towards the woods, their light illuminated the most terrifying creature I had ever laid eyes on. I was alone on the bridge, staring directly at a seven-foot-tall beast in the distance. Its eyes were red, and its mouth took up most of its face with teeth that were pointed and covered in blood. Its spine pierced through its reptilian skin. I could hear the heavy, low breaths of this creature as it moved closer to me. Its breath reeked of death and decay. My heart was racing. Everything in me knew I needed to run away, but my legs wouldn't move. I was paralyzed with fear. When I could finally muster up the courage to move, I ran straight from my house. As I crossed the dark road, I could hear the monster catching up behind me. It was right on my heels. I turned to see how close the monster was and it had disappeared. It had been there one minute, but was gone the next. Unsure of what had just happened, I continued home as fast as I could. I didn't know how to tell my parents what I had seen, and I was sure they wouldn't believe me. That night in bed, I woke up to the sound of a demonic laugh. I immediately turned the light on, and sitting in my rocking chair was the monster. It smiled menacingly at me as it chewed on the flesh of some animal. I 
screamed as loudly as I could, making my parents come running into my room. But just as they opened my door, the monster jumped out the open window. I felt like I was losing my mind. My parents were very concerned for my well-being. A few days passed, and then the monster visited me again. This time, it spoke to me at the dinner table. It explained that its name was Farouk, and it wouldn't leave me alone until I agreed to play with it. I screamed and pointed, but my parents couldn't see it. Farouk laughed as it called me an idiot. It told me I was the only one who could see it, and if I didn't play with it, it would eat my parents. Not wanting my parents to die, I played with Farouk every day. For the rest of that year, Farouk followed me around. It didn't matter if I was surrounded by people, no one ever saw it. So they always thought I was crazy when I tried to explain it. At one point, my parents helped me enlist the help of priests and shamans in the hopes that they could help me get rid of my persistent imaginary friend. But nothing worked. The most I could find out was that it was known as a demon of madness. That it would get obsessed with young children, wanting them to play games with it. It would then energetically attach itself to them, like a parasite sucking away at their sanity until there was nothing left of the child. One day, it got bored playing with me and it tried to attack my mom. That's when I retaliated. Grabbing the kitchen knife, I ran towards it and stabbed it 17 times in the heart. And when it looked up at me, its face changed. And I was then staring at my dying mother. Her face was the last image I remember before being taken away to St. Jonathan's Psychiatric Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Farouk, however, has never left me. I continue to play with it every day, because if I don't, who knows what it is capable of, or what I am capable of. Thank you so much, Abby, for inspiring this tale of a demon of madness. Has anyone ever haunted you that no one else could see? Was there anyone that believed you when it happened? And what lengths would you go to get rid of an evil spirit that has attached itself to you? A portion of Texan farms raise crops, but it's the ones that house and raise livestock that have to deal with issues of the soul. They learn to understand the true danger and sacrifice that comes with maintaining these livestock farms, often at a deadly cost. The Moreno family farm in Lubbock, Texas had successfully raised goats and horses for three generations. But many family members had left the ranch to pursue other endeavors. The only remaining Morenos were Gina, the matriarch, and her 20-year-old grandson, Brick. After Brick's parents died in an accident, 
Gina handled the finances from the main house, while Brick supervised the ranch hands. It was a system that worked well, until one hot summer night. Brick loved raising and tending to the horses, but he had no use for the goats. For him, they were just an annoyance, and they didn't bring in much money. But Gina was insistent. She said that no farm could be without goats, and she was particular about keeping the herd at exactly 30 animals. One evening after sunset, as Brick headed back to the house after feeding the horses, he felt something rush past him. It felt like a horse and breath and stride, but the gust of wind in its wake felt larger than a horse. He squinted into the dark, but saw nothing. Again, the shadowy creature ran past, this time much closer and at a speed that blew Brick to the ground. Brick jumped to his feet and began sprinting. He could feel the animal getting closer behind him, its breath on his neck as he leapt up the front porch and into the house, slamming the door behind him. As Brick tried to catch his breath, Gina went to the window to see the commotion. From outside, they could hear the animal let out a hunter's howl. This was followed by the piercing cries of the goats. Whatever was out there was killing them. Brick grabbed his shotgun and put his hand on the doorknob, but Gina stood in front of him and ominously said, you need to let it finish. Brick froze. He was confused. Once the screams stopped, Brick and a ranch hand went out to inspect. The lights of their tractors revealed the carnage. Each goat had its throat ripped out. Each was drained of blood, bone-dry carcasses on the ground. What could have drained them all that quickly? When the mess was cleaned up, only 29 goats were counted. Brick remembered that he'd set aside one of the goats from the herd earlier. Without telling Gina, he'd done it, thinking that he would take it as an example to another farm to see if they could trade the whole herd for something more valuable. He checked the back barn and there was Taffy, just where he'd put her, the lone survivor of the herd. But when Brick told Gina about Taffy, Instead of relief, Gina was furious. No, there must always be 30 goats in the pen, she yelled. No more, no less. Brick looked confused. Gina took a deep breath and reluctantly told Brick that the large animal he had seen was a creature of legend called a chupacabra or goat sucker. Twice the size of a large dog, it was a furless animal that walked on its hind legs, yet ran on all fours. Every leap year, or every four years, it would come to the farm for a sacrifice of 30 goats. If it didn't get what it wanted, then it would make the farmers pay. Brick had only started full-time with the farm when he turned 18, two years ago. His head was a whirl as his grandmother kissed Brick on the cheek and squeezed him tightly. Brick went to bed, terrified, tossing and turning as he tried to sleep. He awoke when he heard the downstairs door open. Looking out the window, he saw Gina in her nightgown with a lantern walking toward the barn. She stopped to look back up at the house and then continued on. Brick ran as fast as he could out of the house. When he arrived inside the barn, 
There it was. A four-foot-tall, hairless beast standing near his grandmother. It was an evil-looking thing. Part hairless dog, part reptile, balancing on its haunches like a kangaroo, but with hooves for feet. And its rat-like fangs were five inches long, dripping with spit. Brick lifted his shotgun and aimed at the creature. Just then, Gina spun around and faced Brick. Run! It refuses to take me. It's here for you, she yelled. Distraught, she began running towards her grandson. In a flash, the chupacabra leapt over her, knocking her to the side, and before Brick could fire a shot, his throat had been ripped open. Blood gushed everywhere as Brick's body jerked and seized. The animal drank the blood from his throat swiftly, and when it was done, the creature laid his body on the ground and looked back at Gina in a way that said, now the matter was settled. Her farm had satisfied its long-standing obligation to the beast. For now, at least. She stared at her grandson's lifeless body with tears running down her face, then woodenly nodded to the monster before it got any other ideas. The chupacabra's satisfied guttural screech split the night air, and then it ran off. The ranch hands, who had been silently waiting in the dark, started to come out of the woods to help with the body. Bury him next to his parents and beside my husband. All those who ended up sacrificing themselves for our land. And then, her voice cracked, then strengthened. We must prepare better for next time. Get me more goats. This week's podcast stories were edited by Markia McCarty, Sarah Lukasiewicz, and Gail Gilman. Narration by Markia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markia McCarty. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. Executive producer, Gail Gilman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my dark darlings, sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, 
I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me, because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.